0: Well, good morning, you guys. My name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are glad that you guys are here as we continue our Look More Like Love series, where we are studying through the book of Mark together, as Marissa just mentioned. If you don't have the app, uh, download it. That is a great way uh, not only to just follow along uh, today or, uh, you know, to receive um, communication during the week, but also the reading plan is on there as well. So each morning, uh, you'll receive uh, the next portion of Mark that we're all reading through from first grade all the way through adults here um, as a church together. So, um, but if you have not had a chance to do that or if you were not caught up, let me get you caught up. The book of Mark uh, is a very uh, is a fast moving gospel story of Jesus' life. So, um, we're going to be entering into Mark chapter 7 today. Mark 1, Jesus is baptized by John, he begins his Um, His earthly ministry is calling people to be his disciples. Uh, Mark 2, he starts clashing with with the religious leaders, which he's going to clash again today. This is something that happens pretty often in Jesus' life. Uh, Chapter 3, there's more miracles. He chooses 12 disciples. Uh, In chapter 4, he starts telling parables, and then he calms the storm, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Mark five, uh, he, the uh, healing of a demon possessed man, a woman with an issue of blood, and raising a little girl from the dead. And then last week we talked about Jesus being rejected in his hometown, and then throughout the rest of uh, chapter six that we read through this week, uh, Jesus sends out his his twelve disciples, the death of John the Baptist, Jesus feeds five thousand, and the Jesus walks on water. Which is so funny to read these in cliff notes because we talk about it like so like, and you know, and then he fed 5,000 people off a miracle and then he walked on water, yada, yada, yada. This is an amazing day in the life of Jesus. Um, and, And you would think at this point that particularly the religious leaders are seeing all of these things and going, man, this guy is incredible, like, this is uh, there's some pretty incredible things happening here. He's uh, not only showing us so many signs and wonders, but he's just got this incredible way of teaching and of drawing people close to God, this God that he's talking about. It's a refreshing way that he's talking about him as God the Father, is one who truly loves us and seeks us and desires us, as opposed to uh, an angry God in the sky that's distant and that is unpleasable. And so you would think that religious people would be like, oh, this is really refreshing. Uh, but really, uh, they continue to clash with him, probably because they're uncomfortable with what he's talking about. Probably because what he's talking about um, directly opposes their own position and their own authority in that society, in that culture. So we're going to jump right into Mark chapter 7. Um, and uh, it's in your notes, if you, uh, or it's in your app. If you open up the app and then on the bottom, you'll just see one that says notes. Just click on that. We're on week four today if you want to follow along there. There'll be prompts for you to answer questions or to do fill in the blanks there as well. Uh, and then the scripture is there in your app, but it'll also be on the screens behind me. Mark chapter 7, we'll start in verse 1. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. Now, let me just point out that the, the irony is not lost on me that today we are talking about people being upset about not washing your hands before you eat. Coronavirus. That's the only coronavirus joke I will tell today. Verse 3, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions that they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washings of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now remember, Mark is writing to probably a Roman audience, but certainly a Gentile audience, meaning not a Jewish audience. And so that's why he explains what's going on. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow your age-old tradition? They eat, without, they eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition." Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you the law from God, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully, a father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, "Sorry, I can't help you. for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents, and so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes out of your heart. Then Jesus went into the house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable that he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart. It only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, It is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within they are what defile you. I want to ask this question today. How do we become clean? How do we actually become clean? Not in, a, uh, not in an outer way, in a way that we actually feel acceptable before God a holy God, that way that you and I feel marked, that we feel that sin has weighed upon us, that way that we feel that we are in some way dirty, that we can't wash it off. How do we actually become clean? Well, religion says, and uh, it says it here in the Bible, but this has been for uh, for, for all times, as long as there has been religion, religion still continues to say that cleanliness comes from the outside in. Cleanliness is about what you do, right? The Pharisees, they're having this... this uh, they, they basically send these, these well-dressed theological hitmen out to find Jesus. And this is not a short journey. This is from Jerusalem, where they're based. They send to Capernaum, where Jesus is based. That's an 80-mile journey. So they send these theological dudes to go check in on Jesus, Okay, And to ask him questions because they, I, I'm, I'm not really certain they're looking for clarity here. I think they're really more trying to point out, you realize you're doing this wrong, right? You realize you're wrong, right? And uh, it's interesting, this, this still happens. I mean, uh, as Marissa mentioned earlier, we started this church like eight, eight and a half years ago, something like that. And I remember when we first started, for months, every single Sunday, uh, we would be, you know, there, and like after the service, I would just be meeting people and talking to people, and then there would be somebody waiting kind of towards the back until kind of the, you know, people cleared out. And then they would come up, and they would introduce themselves, and, and then, uh, you know, I'd ask them, how did you hear about us, or are you new, or whatever, you know, it's your first time, welcome. And then they would say, I wanted to check in on some of your doctrine. And they would always use that word, doctrine. And I said, I want to check in on some of your doctrine. I said, oh, okay. And then they'd ask me some questions, and then, you know, I would answer them, not kind of not quite tracking with, you know, what their point was, and then they would say, oh, okay, well that that sounds all right. And I'm like, okay. And then I was like, well, are you looking to get more connected? Or oh no, 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 no. We we go to another church. We go to church that will not be named. And um, and I and they were all from the same church, and I was like. Why are you here? You know, they're just checking in. Make sure you guys got good doctrine. Have a good one. Okay. Let the, let the theological police know if we're okay. You know, like, what in the world? Like, who made these people the doctrinal police, right? Uh, and, and so that's what's happening here. And of all people to do it to, they're doing it to Jesus, right? <laughs> Hi, uh, Mr. Christ. Uh, I'm from... <laughs> spiritual dragnet. We're here to uh, check into uh, some issues with some hand washing. And um, they're Pharisees. That, that's, that's who these people were. Pharisees still exist to this day, right? This idea, this feeling. But this whole Pharisee thing, that, that has become synonymous with, with being a bad guy in, 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 uh, particularly in the New Testament. But the interesting thing is it really didn't start off that way. Pharisees started off in, in actually a really kind of beautiful way. Pharisees were born out of, uh, after in the Old Testament, there was something called the Babylonian exile. I'll let you look it up uh, to get a little more details. But the basic, uh, the the very short of it is, is that the tribe of Judah was captive in the city of Babylon. And once they were actually finally released back into Israel after Ezra and Nehemiah, um, and then they said, look, we want to be known for our deep devotion to God. That's where the Pharisee came from. Someone who wanted to be known for their deep devotion to God. That's not a bad thing. That's a great thing, right? And so they actually even gave themselves a name, uh, which is based off of a Hebrew word, "parish," which means set apart or holy or clean, okay? So we've got, these, we got these, these guys who named after being clean or sticklers for being clean. And they would, didn't just want to be sticklers for the Old Testament law. They also wanted to be sticklers for the oral tradition, too. And the oral tradition is something that um, rabbis and religious leaders would... would that they built around what they would call a to build a fence around the Old Testament law. Basically, they were saying, we want to do more things to protect this thing, right? And so... Um, you know, it's like if today somebody said, well, you can't drive while you're distracted. Well, what does that mean? Well, you can't drive with a cell phone. Well, I see people literally doing their makeup in the car and they're not getting pulled over. But if somebody's at a stoplight and look at their phone, they're getting pulled over, right? Like these would be things that say, we're going to add to this because the heart of the law was good, but we're going to add to it to really make sure that we build a fence around that thing. There are already 613 laws in the Old Testament And that was impossible to keep. It was impossible to keep all 613. But then, through the years and through the tradition of the Pharisees, they just kept adding with the oral law. And in approximately 200 A.D., so about 200 years after Jesus, they actually ended up putting these into a book called the Mishnah. And they had all kinds of crazy rules that were part of oral tradition. So let me just give you a few. These are just some regarding the Sabbath. The Sabbath is is the day of rest. And so part of the oral law is, because the Old Testament law is, hey, honor the Sabbath, right? And and that's what it says. And so, but they're going to go even further. And there are pages of this. Here's just a few of them. Uh, In the oral law, in the Mishnah, it says, don't look in a mirror on the Sabbath because you may see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it. If you pull it, that would be considered work. Don't wear false teeth on the Sabbath because they might fall out and you'd have to pick them up, which would be considered work. Don't spit in the dirt because if you stirred it, it would be irrigating and that would be considered work. These are literally in there. If you think these are crazy, you should read all the rules of cleanliness. There are 35 pages in the Mishnah dedicated to the way you should clean a pot so that it Pleases the Lord, right? That's crazy. I don't think God is up there and he's like, Angels, come here real quick. Did you guys see Jesse's pot? I am unpleased with its cleanliness. (laughs) He missed 27 through 35, obviously, right? Like, this is the world that they are living in. But they think that this is a very holy place. This is an honorable place to be. They were celebrated for their piety around these things. There's actually a story of a rabbi who was imprisoned by the Romans. And he was thrown uh, into prison where he just had the rations of food and, and water. And instead of using the water to drink to actually sustain himself, and to quench his thirst, he used it for ceremonial cleaning. And then he didn't have any left over to drink, and he almost died of thirst. And then when he finally got out, he was celebrated as a true hero of the faith. This is what it's like at this time. This is a perfect example of tradition gone wrong. This is a perfect example of when ritual has been divorced of the meaning when, when ritual, empty ritual, divorces the action from the meaning. Uh, we do this all the time, by the way, in our lives. I think we just are so unaware of it. You know, they're just things that we just do that we don't even think about anymore. If I, if I sneeze, you will say, bless you, God bless you. Why do we say that? yeah for the coronavirus you're right, sorry, second coronavirus joke, no more, okay, and then but we do it because way long time ago, during the plague, the Pope said, "Hey, make sure you bless them because we don 't want that to you know to, to pass along. Do we do that anymore? No, but we still carry this tradition on now it just some of the time it's just because we 're so steeped in the culture, we miss it, but some of the times it 's because we, we really we fail to think about the things that we do. And sometimes we really have to give more thought to the things that we are doing. The Pharisees believed that their actions, their outward expression and their obedience and following these rules is what made them clean. That is what put them into God's good graces. That God stood at a distance, unpleased, but by them following through all these different rules and even adding more rules and saying, look, look, look how good I am. Look how good I am. And then they say, now God is pleased. God is pleased with us because we are better than you. They believed that they could be clean from the outside in. The problem is, is that the scrubbing became their way of life. They didn't live any more life outside of just the scrubbing. That became the way of life, of of trying to be clean, of getting clean. Thankfully, you and I don't do any of this kind of ridiculousness anymore, right? We're totally past this. More on that in a moment. But now Jesus gets his turn to respond, which, man, I I I hope that there's like a video archive in heaven someday that I can go and just be like, I would just love to see what it was like You know, to to see Jesus just own a religious person. You know, we get to just, we get to read it, but I'd love to see it and see like, what was this like? And how we're, what did the crowd respond? And because Jesus, Jesus quotes the Old Testament right back to him. The prophet Isaiah, he says, Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Now, hypocrite, this is a theater term. Uh, this is a term that means one who wears a mask. Back in that time, uh, in theater, uh, they would all wear masks to play different parts. And so that's a theater term. And I think Jesus is pointing us uh, to, to a place where, where he's saying, you know where some of the best theater is in, in all of the world? It's on Sunday mornings. It's at the church. It is fantastic because some of us are living Oscar-worthy lives. We can go and we can just pretend all day long that something's okay when it's really not. We can pretend to be something that's better or cooler or smarter or richer or stronger or prettier or skinnier or more successful or more popular or more secure than the person that we actually are. And here's the truth. Every single one of us is that way. Every single one of us is trying to hide something because we're so afraid that if somebody really knew us, that we wouldn't be allowed to stay in. Tribalism is fierce. And that we don't want people to really know us, because if they really knew us, then maybe we couldn't be in anymore. But even if we were able to fool everyone else, God knows. God knows everything. So why? who, who do we think we're really fooling here, you know? Like, we, we got all the way through our life and we're able to pretend that we were something else, and then we die, and then we stand before God, and we're like, oh, I'll bet you he bought it too. <laughs> oh, man, nailed it. You know, I don't, I, we, we just fool ourselves into thinking that, that we're, we're somehow fooling God. But he wants us to be honest with ourselves. And I want to give us an opportunity to do that in just a minute. Jesus says you you ignore God's law and you substitute your own tradition. And then he talks about the fourth commandment where he says honor your father and mother and how he's saying that you guys found a way to get around that. What he's talking about is something that was called uh, Corban. Uh, Corban uh, means gift of God or or gift to God. And, And what it means is that people basically figured out a workaround with their money at that time where they could take their finances, they could they could uh, announce it as Corbin, which meant this is dedicated to God, which meant this now is in a holding account with the church. And while I'm alive, I can use it as much as I want. But when I'm dead, it all goes to the church. After this service, we're opening Corbin accounts for all of you. It's a wonderful way to go. It was a total workaround. It was, it, was like, it was for them to say, here's what's going to happen. Look, I've dedicated this to God. Good. That's a good thing, right? Putting God first in your finances, that's a great thing. Except what they said was, well, by us doing that, then when our father and mother come to us when they're in need, we can be like, sorry, I'm putting God first in my finances. You can't touch that money. That's what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is saying, hello, missing the point, right? You're not honoring your parents in this stuff. And you're not honoring God either, right? You, you are missing the point all together. And Jesus called to the crowd and said, all of you listen, try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled what comes out of your heart. Jesus says this, sin is an inside job that requires an internal solution, not an external solution. There is no amount of cleansing there is no amount of obedience that we can have that will actually get us clean from the inside out the way that God wants us to be. I don't know if you've seen these, these pranks. My kids showed this to me a while ago, and it's it's very funny, and it's also very sad. But. Um, there's these shampoo pranks. Have you seen this? This is this is kind of like what it's like to live as uh, with that Pharisee heart of really believing that you can scrub it away. So this dude shampooing his hair after he's out of the pool. This guy just keeps applying shampoo. and this goes on for like three minutes this poor kid cannot wash the shampoo out of his hair why because they just keep putting more shampoo in like this is what religious life looks like where we have now said we're going to neglect ever thinking of leaving the shower because our life is about just continuing to scrub. We will scrub until the world knoweth how clean our hair is, right? Look at the sheen, perhaps we will condition too. I don't know, let us show you how clean we are over and over and over and over again while everyone else goes about their life actually living life, right? And we walk around and we're like, bet that guy didn't wash for four hours. <laughs> what a sinner. <laughs> this is why we are so desperate for Jesus. What Jesus did for us is what only he could do. This is why we constantly celebrate and talk about the work of the cross. Because Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. That we know that there is some deep down um, separation, that there was some wrongness that, that, it, that is there, and, and that we, we recognize it in the world all around us. We recognize the brokenness. We recognize the, the Bible calls it sin. We recognize the sin. And, and we know that there is some separation, that there is some sense that we either need to go in a religious route of saying, look, God, I've done these things to like, it's cool, Right? You know, I made you something nice. Look, you know, or we just sort of go on the desperate route of being like, well, hey, I'm going to hell in a handbasket anyway. So what does it matter? Right? Everyone re- recognized there's some wrongness there. And this is why we're so desperate for Jesus. This is why we're so desperate for what he did for us on the cross. Because by, through his sacrifice, he paid the price that we could not. He made the way that we could not. Jesus made the way for us to be with God now and forever. This isn't just a punch your ticket into heaven. This is for us to recognize what it is like to build God's kingdom here, right here and now and into eternity. This is what Jesus has done. And for those of you that are here that maybe have not accepted that gift, it's time to stop and to rest. It's time to stop just just constantly feeling like you can make yourself cleaner It's time to recognize what Jesus has done and to follow his way, because he says that his burden is easy and light. If you've never done that, you can do that today. It's just, you can just simply say, yes, I want to follow Jesus today. We don't have to put a lot of pomp and circumstance around it. It's just you saying, that makes sense, and yes, I want in. On your app, on The Next Steps, you can just let us know. We'd love to, send you, some, we'd love to uh, send you some resources that we think would be really helpful to you. And if you'd like to meet with somebody, we'd be happy to connect with you as well. How many of you need to pause and accept that truth today? Even if you have decided to follow Jesus, maybe you're still trying to prove yourself clean or worthy in some way. And then I want to ask us this question. How many of us are just completely blind to our own hypocrisy? Because Jesus went into the house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just asked. Here's the best part. Did Jesus tell a parable? No, he did not tell a parable. He was speaking very plainly. But why did they ask him that? Because this is so foreign and so new that they're thinking, ah, he speaks in some code. Perhaps later we will ask him what he really means. Because everyone does this. This is the way everyone who's religious thinks. Anyone who calls himself a God follower, that's what they do. So he speaks of something weird. Let us find out later what he really means. And Jesus is like, don't you understand either? He asked them. I think he's asking us that same thing today. Don't you understand either? It's not what you put into yourself that defiles you. It's what comes out of your heart. And then he names off. I mean, I'm super impressed. Jesus, just the mind of Jesus is amazing because he just like goes for it. For with them, out of a, person comes, uh, out a person's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Shall I go on? Like <laughs> Boom! I mean, every single one of them is just like, whoa, you're right. <laughs> I liked it better when it was a parable, you know? <laughs> I think Jesus is asking us that question today. Don't you understand? Why don't we understand? Well, I think one of the reasons we don't understand is because we're so steeped in the, in the culture and tradition of today, we don't even see it. We've just lived in it so long that we don't even see it anymore. I mean, there's things that we can see now that we can have a good laugh about because we're thinking, what were they thinking? Oh, my gosh, this is ridiculous. Because, you know, they really missed the point on that one because now we have the benefit of, of time, right? And we can look back in like the 80s and the 90s when they were having... You know, are we, are, it's hymns versus worship choruses. Man, that was an important battle, you know? Or like choirs versus bands. Mm, who's going to win that one? My favorite was handbells versus acoustic guitars, you know? Oh, man, that's an important battle that we as a church should fight, right? And we look at that, and we're like, ugh, you know? And just the fact that we would put these, pit these two against each other is ridiculous. How about choir and handbells and guitars? and bands. No, we can't do and because that's against the tradition. Right? Or the holy movement. The holiness movement of the 80s and the 90s. Anybody grew up in this where you couldn't watch those awful satanic cartoons that were on the TV at the time? Like Smurfs and He-Man and worst of all, Scooby-Doo. Which Scooby-Doo was always puzzling to me because I'm like, it's always a guy with a mask. It's not the devil. Like... uh, all right, You absolutely could not read any Harry Potter books, but at Halloween, don't celebrate Halloween. Instead, we want to invite you to our church to a thing that we call a hell house, where we're going to scare you into a loving relationship with Jesus. But if you read a Harry Potter book, you're going to fall into witchcraft and go to hell. All right. But don't talk about Santa. Don't you dare, because that's just an anagram for Satan. Everyone knows this, right? These were things that I knew growing up. This was part of my childhood, right? And we all laugh and go, oh yeah, right? But it's easier to recognize the hypocrisy of the past and much harder to see the hypocrisy in our own mirror. As I was writing this, this week, I just realized I am so steeped in our culture today that there are things that I think I completely miss because I'm thought, I, I, I don't put thought into it. And yet, it says in Romans, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Things that, just like the Pharisees, they were born out of a good place, out of a healthy place, out of a place that we assumed were from God's word even, and, but we've missed it. We've, we've elevated it to a place even uh, you know with or above God's Word, and we're missing the actual heart. We're missing the heart of God in the whole thing. Let me give you some examples, and uh, I, I, I want to see if any of us can find ourselves in this today. Do you pray before a meal? Which, by the way, does, there, there's no place in the Bible that it, it commands you to do that. But, but if you ever want to watch Christians starve, put, put a meal out and just don't pray. <laughs> fine to pray before a meal that's a wonderful thing by the way but do you pray before a meal but don't pray at any other time in your life do you avoid using specific curse words the ones that we know are the bad words but you casually gossip, gossip slander and lie because that's not a big deal. do you say you value human connection but never make an, uh, an effort to, or to show up to social functions You think that girls should dress more modestly, but don't talk to boys about controlling their thought life. You hold back from giving to the church, but don't think twice about buying something you need because you got a great deal. Excuse me, you don't need because you got a great deal. Do you think someone is wise for getting treatment for a physical ailment, but think it's weak for them to get medical help or counseling for for a mental illness? Do you find yourself upset about gay rights or which bathroom a transgender person uses, but less upset about the hate, violence, and discrimination directed towards such people? Do you find party and club culture irresponsible, but you just laugh off mommy wine culture? Do you easily judge someone who commits adultery, but think little of your lustful thoughts or your consumption of porn? Are you more upset about reasonable gun restrictions than about stopping gun violence? Do you say you're pro-life but give little to no thought about elder care? Do you complain about corporate sweatshops but don't stop shopping at your favorite stores? Are you convinced that voting for a specific political party is the way that Jesus would vote but haven't considered just how much more hope you are putting in our government than in God and his church? Are you hyper-aware of someone else's hypocrisy, but never think twice about your own? I would imagine that every single one of us can find ourselves in there. I found myself in there several times. All of us are dealing with hypocrisy. This is why we're so desperate for Jesus, we're so desperate for the Holy Spirit to convict us, to point us to the right things, not shame us and say, yeah, you're gross and you're wrong and stay away, but to point us through conviction to say, this isn't the right way. Repent just means to turn, turn to the right way, turn, turn to the right way and, and, and walk in a way that brings more life to you, to others, that builds God's kingdom. Jesus once said, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And thankfully, Jesus was not a hypocrite because later on, that's exactly what he did. He calls every single one of us friends and he says, friends, come and celebrate that you do not have to do the work, that you don't have to live a life that is spent scrubbing the endless shampoo from your spiritual life, that you get to go out and actually live Live a life of freedom. Live a life that inspires others. Live a life that has meaning. So in just a moment, I want to invite everyone. There's two stations in the back that we can celebrate communion. And the bread is is, uh, significant of Jesus' uh, body that was broken for us. And we dip it in the cup, which signifies his blood that was shed for us. And I want you, as you do that, to, to do that and just to pause And just to simply say, God, reveal to me the places that I'm missing it. And to say thank you that you have provided a way for me to know you now and forever. Thanks for listening to the Rain City Church podcast. We love that our community exists for so many, not just in the greater Seattle area, but around the world. Please push subscribe and feel free to share our content. And for any more questions or to get more involved, check out our website at raincitychurch.com. We hope to see you to Sunday soon.